you again. And of course, in case you hadn't noticed, once again, we've reached the season of Christmas. <laughs> and already, it's the second Sunday in Advent. And of course, this is the beginning of the church year. And it's a time of great anticipation as we look forward to Christmas. And as you probably know, the term Advent comes from the Latin, Adventus, meaning coming. And it's a similar root to the word adventure, which comes from adventurous, meaning a thing about to happen. And hence we can say that this time of the year heralds a great adventure. Now, as we're in church, you probably don't need me to tell you whose coming it is that we're looking forward to in Advent. And of course, in fact, the whole of the Old Testament from Adam through Noah, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Moses, David, the prophets, the early part of the New Testament, all anticipate, they point to, they herald the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. So from the earliest chapters of Genesis, right through to Malachi, we find references, and some more veiled than others, to the nativity, or the life, or the death, or sometimes all three, of Jesus. So you might say that the Old Testament could be subtitled, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, of course, there's one thing I think, I hope we notice about these events, and that is from our perspective, they're all in the past. We're looking back at them, aren't we? through 2,000 years of history. Much, of course, as many of the Old Testament participants were looking forward to them. For us, Jesus has already come. So each year, we're remembering. We're giving thanks to God for his gift of a saviour, his son, who came to take the sins of the world, our sins, yours and mine, upon himself, and pay the price to set us free from sin through his blood on the cross. However, it doesn't end there. Although, if it did, to use a Hebrew word, got to learn a bit of Hebrew, Hebrew word, deanu, it would have been enough. So is Advent just looking back? I think there's more to it than that. We need to be looking forward as well. Advent, as we've already noted, means coming. And it's important to remember that Jesus didn't just come 2,000 years ago, that it's done and dusted. He is coming again. And we see in the New Testament, during and after Jesus' earthly life, many references to his second coming, which, of course, we now await. And whilst I said a moment ago Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross would in one sense be enough, in fact we have to ask, is it not only part of the story? Jesus came to be born as a human baby, to live a perfect life, to die a terrible death on the cross, and then to be resurrected. All this happened in order to reconcile fallen humanity, including each one of us, 
to God and to bring us salvation so we might have everlasting life. But if we're being saved, then the question arises, what are we being saved from? On the one hand, as I'm sure you know, we're being saved from our sin. All the things we do and say and think that are contrary to God's standards and in disobedience to his will and therefore separate us from him. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the wages, the result, the penalty of sin is death. And elsewhere he tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And later the writer to the Hebrews says, it's appointed for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins have already been dealt with and we will not have to answer for them at the final judgment, but we will have to give an account of our lives to our Saviour. Hebrews 9 goes on to say, and just as each person is destined, destined to die once and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Here we have it then. Advent is not just waiting for Jesus coming as a babe, but for his coming again to bring either salvation or judgment. In Luke 21, Jesus tells us, At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In our celebration of the Christmas season, we remember the humanity of Jesus, the fleshliness of the babe lying in a manger, His newborn cry strikes our hearts. His tiny feet with real baby toenails move us to awe. Steve and Colleen will no doubt be enjoying looking at those features of their newborn babe in a few weeks. God took on flesh. This was the biggest change that had ever happened to the Godhead. God had never been human before. Yes, he'd appeared in physical shape now and then, perhaps in what we call the theothenies of the Old Testament. But in the incarnation, Jesus became human forever. When he comes again, he'll be a real physical human king. His actual feet will kick up the dust on the Mount of Olives. He will sit, as we heard in that reading from Isaiah, he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And as it says at the end of Acts, or the beginning of Acts, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. At his first coming, he was veiled in the form of a child. But at his return, he will come unveiled and everyone will know him for who he really is. When we meditate on the incarnation of Jesus as a baby, Let's also meditate on how that same human will one day descend from the sky to rule the earth as a real 
human king. In his first advent, a star marked his arrival. But when he returns, heaven will roll up like a scroll. The stars will fall out of the sky and he himself will illuminate it. The first time he came, the Magi brought him gifts. But when he comes again, he will bring gifts and rewards for his own. The first time he came, there was no room for him. At his return, the whole world will not be able to contain his glory. At his first appearance, few attended his arrival. But at his second appearance, every eye will behold him. Though some the first time did recognise and see what God was doing in their generation, many missed it because they didn't know what to expect. You'll remember how Jesus visited his own hometown and was rejected because the people were incapable of reconciling the boy they had watched growing up with their vision of a conquering warrior messiah. There was a certain level of pride and confidence in their own expectation that just didn't allow them to see the unexpected thing God was doing right under their noses. From our 21st century perception, we shake our heads at their short-sightedness because we can see clearly the child from Nazareth as the son of God. We are acclimatised to the gentle, lowly picture of Jesus. The exact picture Israel was not expecting. We see him more as the meek and lowly lamb rather than the mighty warrior king. And therefore, we run the risk of missing him the second time. Israel's expectation of a mighty delivering warrior wasn't wrong. They just didn't understand the timing. He had to come first as a sacrificial lamb. But if we forget that Jesus really is the warrior, seeing him only as lowly, meek and mild, we may find ourselves making the reverse of the mistake that Israel made the first time. Ever since Eden, God has desired to be near us, his creation. He did not want any separation. The incarnation was dramatic proof of that. Emmanuel, God with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a lifetime among us a pure representation of the heart of the Father. He got close, he broke bread, he had friends, he opened his arms to all who would come. And in his second coming, his deep heart cry (coughs) is again for the intimate nearness. He wants to be back on the ground, here, with us. When God created the earth, his desire was to dwell on it with us forever. Sin, of course, interrupted that plan. And the incarnation was a foretaste 
paving the way. The second coming is the fulfillment of God's dearest dream. We read in Revelation, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. There is a magic to Christmas because it illustrates the way things should be and intimates the kingdom that is yet to come. In his first advent, Christ came in the weakness of infancy to become the suffering servant of those who were hopelessly lost. In his second advent, he will come as the sovereign king, king of kings and lord of lords. So are we looking forward to this second advent with the same enthusiasm that most of us look forward to Christmas? The early church certainly was. Some of them had apparently given up their jobs to sit and wait for the Lord's return and Paul had to rebuke them. Jesus himself speaks about his return in glory and this is recorded in all the Gospels. He tells us quite clearly that we must continually be in a state of readiness for his coming because he will come at a time of God's choosing and it's not for us to know when that will be. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of God will come when least expected. There is in this passage and more directly in other verses relating to Jesus' return, joyous news for all believers. But there's also a warning. I'm sure that we're all familiar with the type of joke which includes good news and bad news. For instance, I heard recently of a man who came home and said to his father, I have some good news and some bad news. To which the father replied, just give me the good news. His reply, I'm happy to tell you that the airbags on your new BMW work perfectly. <laughs> you don't need the bad news, do you? Probably one of the clearest statements of the good news, bad news, relating to our Lord's return is to be found in Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. 
and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Here is the good news and the bad news. Now, perhaps that's not what we expect to hear at Christmas. The good news, certainly. The angels singing, peace on earth. But the bad news? Now, if you know the nativity accounts well, you'll remember that Matthew's narrative ends with that dreadful, dreadful slaughter of all the male babies under two years old. Not something that features on many of our Christmas cards. Wherever Jesus comes, he brings division. He said so himself. Therefore, we should not be surprised that the end of the biblical story will also contain division. Whether this is good news or bad news for us depends on where we stand now with Jesus. If we are believers, his first coming makes his second coming good news. Unlike the narratives we read in the Bible of things which happened over 2,000 years ago, this second coming is one that we will all experience. And that will be a great adventure for us all. Now, of course, there's much speculation about the details of the second coming. But we should stick to specific things we are told in Scripture. Of course, for many Christians, eschatology, big word for the study of the end times, eschatology is a closed book, whereas others spend inordinate amounts of time trying to determine exactly what will happen and when. Now, I'm not sure that getting too concerned about the minutiae is very productive, but on the other hand, to ignore the subject altogether, to put it in the too-hard tray, is to neglect an area which is vital to our understanding of why Jesus came and what we are being saved from and why we need to be ready at all times to stand at the final judgment. Now, so far, perhaps this has given us a rather selfish introverted look at Emmanuel's return. The flip side of the coin is how we respond, not just regarding our own salvation, but to other people, to the people in Green Lane, to the people in Thatcham, to the people in Newbury. We have also been given a sacred duty to bring God's word and his offer of salvation to others. I well remember my colleague Tristan from the Messianic Testimony. Some of you may remember Tristan. And he was an evangelist first and foremost. And he would go out on the doors in Brighton and other Jewish areas, knocking on the doors and talking to people about the Lord Jesus. And he talked to one lady, I think she was a Jehovah's Witness, and she came to faith. And she said to him, why has nobody ever told me this before we would not want that to be said to us now I've heard it said that one issue we face especially when talking about salvation is that the bad news part of the story hell and damnation are used to frighten people into church but this is not necessary in that story about the BMW the bad news wasn't even mentioned 
Remember what we read earlier in Hebrews. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation for all who are eagerly waiting for him. The but not for those who have rejected him remains silent. Whilst the bad news part of the equation cannot be ignored, it need not be used as a battering ram for those of whom we may well be able to say, there but for the grace of God go I. The incarnation, Christmas, the first coming, was phase one. Phase two will be more glorious than we can imagine. As we celebrate and meditate on Messiah born for us, let us celebrate and meditate also on the same Messiah coming for us, to make all the wrong things right, to fulfill every promise, and to be with us forever. The best thing we can pray for at Christmas is for its completion. Come, Lord Jesus. So as we go in a few minutes into communion, I love the verse of the hymn that says, Backward look we, drawn to Calvary, musing as we sing. Forward haste we to thy coming, Lord and King. Amen. Amen.